You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Woo! Yeah! Good morning, you beautiful people. All right. How we doing? Good? You look good? Yeah. I was just realizing, as I was sitting there, I was like, man, it's hard to believe we've been two years in this building now. It's like time just like crazy, right? Moving like crazy. I was talking with uh, Wilson, our son, the other day. I think we were coming back from school, and I was like, we've been eight years in the house that we're living in now. And I don't think in the 30 years my wife and I have been married, we ever have ever lived in a place that long. I mean, it just felt like every couple of years we were making a move doing something like that. Anybody else like that? You move a lot? Nope, nope. Yes, you do. It's not fun moving. The older you get, the less fun it gets, too. My parents moved a lot when I was a kid, but I always found them. So they they couldn't get rid of me. Well, all right. I want to take some time this morning. Um, I'm not real good with themed messages. Um, I feel like I kind of have to force it. So what I did was I'm not doing a themed message. So there you go. I know it's like Thanksgiving week. You're supposed to do the Thanksgiving message. And, you know, I would be hopeful that we would be uh, full of Thanksgiving all the time. That, That there's something very powerful in that. But I really feel like with where we are right now, with the world around us and what's going on, it's near impossible. I don't know what it looks like on your social media and on your news feeds, um, but I, it's, it's painful, right? I don't know that I have ever seen the world this polarized, specifically this country, so incredibly polarized. And, and it's easy for me, can I just be real for a moment? It's easy for me to get caught up in it. And I find myself internally not actually feeling very good because I'm digesting the wrong stuff for too long. Hello? And so I've learned to be a little more careful about it. And if I feel it, you know, be able to, you know, not take anything in. But I like to see what's happening. I like the news. I like to see what's happening around the world, uh, especially in the U.S. right now, because we don't know what's happening in the U.S. right now. Um, But I, as I was thinking about that, I think it's just part of what God's called me to um, and I, and I probably never will get off of this. Um, the kingdom of God. It always comes back to my mind. It's all got to come back to the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. It all has to come back to the kingdom of God. So I felt like this week just taking a moment to be a dad and bring us back to home base. Can I do that this morning? So I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the Book of Mormon. I'm just wanting to see if you're awake, that's all. Okay, turn to the book of Romans, actually. Let's do that. Did that just make you uncomfortable? I like doing that. I like doing that. I just want to see if you're awake. Turn to the book of Romans. And I'm specifically going to be in Romans 12. And again, this is another one of my books I love, uh, specifically this chapter. Book of Romans is such a powerful, powerful book. If you really want to understand the intention of God 
and what he is, his desire has been for mankind, just read through the book of Romans. It's the book that we use a lot to get our doctrine, the church, um, and rightfully so. It's good at that. But I don't ever want to get caught up in just digesting doctrine. I want to know what his heart is for us. And, and in particular, this chapter is huge because I think this is where he begins to move into what it looks to live out this thing that he has set in motion. Romans 1, you see the heart of God. You see mankind drifting away from it. Into Romans 2, you hear the same thing. I love the Romans 2, though, where he says it's the goodness, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Romans 3, we see what sin is. Romans 4, we start to see faith in Abraham. It's all, Romans 4 is just filled with Abraham and living by faith. You get into Romans 5, it's all about the first man, Adam, the last man, Jesus, and what happened with him. Romans 6 is all about not continuing in sin. We were dead to sin. Romans 7, that's that passage, that's that chapter people get caught up on all the time where Paul is saying, you know, the thing I don't want to do, that's the thing I do. And we tend to think that that's uh, almost like a prescription on how we're going to live our life. But that's not what he's talking about. This is not a message about Romans 7. But can I say this, because I feel like I'm on the tangent right now. Can I say this? The Romans 7 is not about... Just, oh, woe is me, I keep doing the wrong thing all the time. And Paul did, so I guess this is life. That is not what he's talking about. Romans 7 starts by saying this, I speak to those who know the law. And if you live under the law, this is what your life is going to look like. He gets to the end of that and he says, who's going to set me free from this body of sin and death? Thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, I gave you all that to move us up to. I'm not going to do 9 and 10 because that's, a, that's wonderful. 9, 10, 11 are amazing, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Romans 12. It starts by saying this. Let's put this up on the screen here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'm using the Passion Translation because I've, I've been in that for a few years now and I'm really, really enjoying it. Romans 12, verse 1. Christmas tree. There we go. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? You see, it's been building 11 chapters. It's been building up to this. And he says, he's starting to speak to us and giving us practicals on what it looks like for us to live in this Christian life. What, what, what should our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you, I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifice. His sacred living sacrifice. Now when you think sacrifice, and when he wrote this to the early church, what they knew of sacrifice was animals on an altar. This is the picture that they have. So when they're reading this for the first time, they're hearing, present your lives, your whole self, to God to be a sacred living sacrifice. How awkward is that, right? Because this is the picture. What am I going to do, crawl up on the altar? That's the problem with living sacrifices. They tend to crawl off. The dead ones stay. But if you back up to Romans chapter 6, and where it says we're dead to sin, it makes it, when we understand that, it makes it a whole lot easier to put ourselves on the altar and stay there. And he's bringing it back to the Romans, and he's saying, present your lives as a living sacrifice. As a matter of fact, if you can understand what it means to be dead to sin... To be raised to a new life in him, it makes it a whole lot easier to stay on an altar as a living sacrifice because you recognize the reward. 
you recognize the goodness in it. To stay in that place of vulnerability, to stay in that place of, my God, what can I do? What can I do? Here I am. This is what I give to you. I give my life to you. A living sacrifice. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. New King James says reasonable act of service. I think NIV says reasonable act of worship. This is what it's all about. How many want to worship God? Did you know you can worship God without words by the presentation of your life? Did you know you can't praise God without words? Did you know that? They're two different things. You can't praise God without words. Hebrews 13 says that. We bring the sacrifice of what? Praise, which is what? The fruit of our lips. This is why it's so important, I think, when we come in here to worship and we encourage people to say, sing it out, shout it out. What are we doing right there? It's not trying to manipulate you. It's trying to lead you. It's getting you to enter into something because when you bring the sacrifice of praise, it begins to change something on the inside. Now I can begin to move into a place of worship. Now I can begin to move into a place where I'm saying, I can give my life to him completely. How many times, if we're really honest, we walk in here on a Sunday morning and you're not really feeling like giving praise and worship, right? Anybody else? You're not nodding your head because you just want to make me feel good, right? Because, I mean, I feel like that. You know, I, there's days I wake up on a Sunday morning and go, I wonder if I should show up today. <laughs> I have those kinds of feelings. Would it be okay if I just kind of skip today? Can I get an absent on this one? And it simply comes from a place of where I am on the inside, but I know this to be true. Every time I begin by saying, I'm going to give him the sacrifice of praise, when I just begin to pray, something begins to change on the inside. And it shifts me so much when I continue to do that that it brings me to a place of what he's saying here. Present your lives as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. So much of what we see throughout this book is foundational to the life of faith. So foundational to the life of faith. If you haven't spent any time in Romans, take some time and just read through it. This life that we have been given in Jesus Christ, it's way better than you think. It's way, way better than you think. I get an amen on that? Good. All right. Well, I'm going to read a few passages here. I wanted to start with that one to establish that, just to establish that right there. Because if you're a living sacrifice, that means you're giving up your own agenda. You're giving up your own ideals. You're giving up your own, I don't know. God's thoughts are better than ours, right? Right, so we're giving up our own thoughts. We're giving up our own conclusions, the things that we have thought through and thought, this is the way things need to go. Anybody else like that? I think as a leader, I tend to do that an awful lot. This is the thing, this is the way things need to go and it needs to look like this. Have you ever experienced that sometimes that's not right? Have you ever experienced the fact that his thoughts are right? Okay. This is part of that reasonable act of worship, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. So I want to establish that, but I want to move on and look at a few other verses here and I'm not going to read through all of them. I want to move to number six first. Let's read that one. Verse six says this, God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are uniquely ours. So if God has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of faith you have to prophesy. Okay, why is this important? 
all in the context of giving over our own lives. Why is this important? Because the word says that he has given a measure of faith to every individual. Okay? How many would like to have their faith increased? Okay, how do you increase your faith? It's like anything else, you use it, right? I want to have my faith increased. He's given me a measure of faith. And in the faith gifts that he gives in Romans 12 is the passage where you get all the gifts of the Father. That's where they come in. You got the gifts of the Father, Romans 12 is the gift of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4, and you have the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They're different. They have different manifestations, different working inside of humanity. Romans 12 is where we get these gifts, and he's talking about it. He says each one's been given a measure of faith, but sometimes what we have is a little bit different. Some of you get the ability to prophesy. But he says here, prophesy according to the measure of your faith, not according to the measure of your sight. I can't prophesy according to my faith until I stay on the altar as a living sacrifice. Because if I don't do that, everything I see around me brings in my judgment, my ideas inside of it. And when he gets to this part right here and he says, prophesy then according to your faith, he's talking about faith seeing another world, seeing something, something that's completely different. We all know we can't put faith in anything in this world, correct? I mean, we do at some level. I didn't see anybody walk in here and check the chair out before they sat down. You had faith in the chair that it would hold you up when you sat down, right? What if we were to take that kind of faith where we don't have to check, we just move towards it, but it's towards the things that God has already established in his word. It's real easy. It's real easy to look around the world and say things are getting really, really, really bad. Can I get an amen to that? And I grew up in a culture where it was kind of celebrated because the darker things got, the closer we are to the return of Jesus. And I don't think that's wrong, but I don't want to sit passively with a victim mentality that just says, oh, well, things are just going to happen and thank God Jesus is going to come save us from all this stuff. If the goal of Jesus was that when you got saved, you would be dead the moment you said you believe in him. There's an assignment we have on this planet. And when he says prophesy according to your faith, he's not taught, he says prophesy according to your faith, not according to what you see. It would be really easy for me to want to prophesy according to what I see going around me in the natural world. But I have to come back to this living sacrifice so I can see what's going on in his world and be able to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I will prophesy that. Society, listen, society declines into judgment in the absence of a move of the Spirit of God. Society will always, always decline into judgment. I see the church doing it. Can I just be honest real quick? I see the church do it. We'll see something happen in the world and all of a sudden you see judgmental prophetic words coming out. And I'm like, man, you don't know what spirit you're of. You're prophesying according to your sight right now. Not prophesying according to faith. Faith, hope, and love, these things remain. I may be preaching to myself this morning, but I think it's important. Society declines into judgment. The church declines into judgment in the absence of a move of the Spirit of God. How many want to move the Spirit of God? Right? I do believe it starts in our own six square feet. I think a lot of us want it to happen somewhere else where it starts to move, and then I go jump in on it. I, I would rather have it that way. I mean, if I'm being honest, it's much more fun to see somebody else burn. 
you guys know who Leonard Ravenhill is? He was like fire brimstone preacher. I mean, he was like monster. Scary when I read some of his stuff. But he said, you know what revival is? He said, revival is when God gets so tired of being misrepresented that he shows up. (laughs) Revival is when God gets tired of being so misrepresented that he shows up. You know what, though? I, I understand that, and I can appreciate it. But on the other hand, I don't think God wants to operate out of lack. I think he wants to operate out of fullness. I think he wants to operate out of faith. I think he's looking for people of faith to start saying what he's saying and inject it into the world around us. I want to see a move of God. But what does a move of the Spirit look like? Well, it says in that first passage here, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay. If you want a move of God, then present sacrifice. Remember the old covenant showed us this over and over and over again. What would happen whenever they would put sacrifice on an altar? Boom. Fire. If we think that we're giving our lives as a living sacrifice and there's no fire going on, perhaps what we're offering isn't the right sacrifice. Hello? Because sacrifice, fire will always fall on sacrifice. It's what we see over and over and over and over again. There was always a sacrifice and fire. Sacrifice and fire. If fire and a move of God is not falling on us, it's not because he doesn't want to. I think it's mostly because the sacrifice isn't quite quite there yet. How many of you have ever learned this? I'm still learning it. I'm 53 years old and I'm still learning it and I'm not very good at it. But the more vulnerable you are, the more breakthrough you get. Is it true? Please tell me it's true. I need a little encouragement here, okay? <laughs> the more vulnerable you are, the more breakthrough you get. I believe that's true in the kingdom of God. The more vulnerable you are with him, giving yourself, ourselves over to him, then fire can fall on it. And I know this to be true, guys. I know this. Anytime I've had fire fall on my life, where I see heaven coming through me, I'm talking about like, not the kind you have to have faith to see fire. I'm talking about fire that's like, man, bro's gonna burn up, man. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You ever been around people like that? I've been, I've been like that. I've been like that. And, I've, and I know what happens on the inside. I didn't get that way because I prayed really hard. I didn't get that way because I fasted for six days. I didn't get that way because I read my Bible over and over and over again. Those things are wonderful. I got that way when I came to a place of complete vulnerable yieldedness to him. That's when it happened. All of a sudden, revelation starts to flow. Things start just coming out of nowhere. You don't even have to work it. It's like... How many of you guys have ever gotten words for somebody else? Prophetic words. Let me see your hands. We're a very prophetic culture. This is a good thing. We need that. You know what I'm discovering? If I have to spend time thinking about getting a word for somebody, I'm not living with fire. I'm not living in complete sacrifice. The best words come when I'm not thinking about it. Hello? Where I'm consumed with him so much that I don't have to go, God, give me a word for this person. The word comes. 
I think I may have said this story before. I remember a number of years ago this happened. I was sitting with a buddy of mine. It was in a different city. It wasn't here. Sitting with a buddy of mine was going through some marital challenges, really difficult marital challenges, and just was like really, really hurting. And I'm sitting there having breakfast with him, and in the conversation, a phrase comes out that I didn't have to go ask God to give me a word for this man, but it was a word for this man. And here's the irony in it all. It was a word from the movie Shawshank Redemption. Great movie. But there was a phrase that happened in there. I'm sitting there talking, and all of a sudden it comes out of my mouth, almost like I couldn't even control it. I could, but it was like it just came out. I just looked at him and I said, get busy living or get busy dying. And if you know the movie at all, it was a real catalyst moment in the movie. Or he said, get busy living or get busy dying. That moment radically changed his perspective right there. Everything turned in an instant. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about this kind of fire. I'm talking about this kind of living where you don't have to think about it. It just comes out of your mouth. How awesome would it be if we as the people of God begin to do that and see transformation happen in a moment? He needed something to come through another individual. Let me just suggest this church that people around you need something to come through you. I need something to come through you. I know this for darn sure. Sure shooting, folk. I need what you have inside of you. Please, please, don't ever come into this building or think that we're going to be a part of a, a, a family right here where you come in and I'm the one that goes to God and gets a word and then comes back and gives it to you. If you come here and tithe and expect me to be intimate with God so you get something, there's a word for that. It's prostitution. You don't pay me to be intimate with God for your sake. Hello. The world right now, it's in such a disarray. It is so polarized right now. The only thing that's going to solve it is not facts. Hello? It's not facts. And not truth in the sense that these facts are right coming out. The only thing that's going to solve the polarization that's happening in the world right now is the revelation of Jesus coming into humanity. That is the only thing. So when he says prophesy according to your faith, it's critically important then that I'm at a place where I'm burning enough to be able to prophesy what is going on in heaven so I can see it happen in the world around me. Nothing happens in the kingdom until it's declared. Do you believe that? Nothing happens in the kingdom until it's declared. So, if that's the case, then it's critically important that we prophesy according to our faith and not according to our sight. If nothing happens until it's declared, I want to be a part of that. Come on, I hope I'm stirring your faith this morning as much as anything else. Listen, church, we need, the world needs, the world needs the revelation of Jesus Christ. What would happen if in a room like this, I don't know how many people we have in here, 60, 70 people, I don't know how many we have here. What would happen if 60 or 70 people got lit to that extent that wherever we went, we'd begin to change things around us? 12 people got lit and changed the world. 12 
uneducated, really not that sharp. They weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer, but they had been with Jesus. They understood it and they changed the world around them. Come on, I'm hoping I'm helping you this morning because it's real easy for me to get caught up in what goes on in the world around us and get into natural human, humanistic, if you would. It's humanistic ideology. Thinking that I've got enough, that I know enough, that if this would happen and this would happen, then finally there'd be some results. I actually was having a conversation with my wife the other day, and I won't tell you what it was about, but I said something to her, and after I said it, I thought, man, that just revealed my heart. It wasn't an argument. It was just a statement. I wish this, da 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 And I said this thing right here, and I'd be like, hold this up, show the world that. You know, and I'm like, man, that's, that is in my heart. That is in my heart. If I'm being honest, that is in my heart, and that's what I believe. But it also moved me back to what I'm talking about right now, going, that will not change the world, though. You cannot have true justice in the world without the mercy of God. Did you know that? So, if we live on facts and figures and think we're getting justice that way, it's not bringing the kingdom. It'll bring the difference between right and wrong. But we've got enough of Christianity trying to live with right and wrong. Hello? This whole thing of Christianity isn't about right and wrong. It's about life and death. And our responsibility is to bring life into the situation. Not facts, not figures, not right and wrong. Our responsibility is to bring life, life, life into it. Why is this important? Because if we slip into a place of judgment, San Francisco is going to fall into the sea because of all the sand. There's reasons why there's earthquakes there. I don't think they really talk like that, but it felt like it. So I'm talking like that. (laughs) They're going to fall into the sea. There's so much, so much sin. So much sin, they're going to fall into the seeds. The judgment of God, hellfire and brimstone. Well, actually, you don't know what spirit you're of. And actually, there is a judgment. But if you're really being honest, that that kind of thinking is very short-sighted. It's very, very short-sighted. Why? It removes the me factor. It's a lot easier to point the finger over there and say, look what's going on and God's going to get them and me stand off over here in a place of pride and arrogance thinking I know what's really going to happen. When really the answer is for me to jump right into the middle of where the problem is and start to prophesy according to my faith and bring healing and hope and restoration. I don't understand this. Listen, if we as believers, I don't think it happens in this room, so I'm speaking broad here, okay? And I'm not calling anybody out, but we have got to have a shift away from this judgmental attitude. If God is judging San Francisco for their sin, he needs to apologize to Jesus for offering his life for it. Because he says he takes care of the sin of the world, removes the sin of the world, right? The reason why people are sinning is because they don't know who Jesus is. But when they know who he is, all of a sudden, I don't have to focus on trying to get people to not sin anymore. They don't sin because they found something better than that. Hello? All of this prophesying according to your faith, though, it works in the context of this. My favorite passage, my favorite verse is actually verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
so that you may prove, I'm speaking New King James because that's what I grew up with. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I used to think that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God was like stages. You get into the good will of God, and then if you're really full of faith and you really do the right things, then you get into the acceptable will of God. And then if you just get it right, I mean, if you are like, you are on in your Christianity. You are on. You are in the zone. You are hitting your, all cylinders are going. That's when you get into perfect will of God. That's not what that's talking about. Anybody else ever grow up like that? I remember hearing it. People would say, get up in testimony. Man, I know what it's like right now. I feel like I'm in the perfect will of God. Well, good. But those words there aren't there to show you stages in the kingdom of God. They're there to show you that the kingdom of God and what it really looks like is so good that you can't sum it up in one word. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. I hear Paul when he's talking about it. It's like, I can't tell you enough how awesome this is. But if you can have your mind transformed enough to see this and you start to recognize, as a matter of fact, I heard someone say it like this, be transformed so that you can approve what is the good, acceptable will of God. They likened it to an art critic. Whenever a piece of art is being looked at by an art critic, someone who really knows what they're doing, if they're questioning whether it's the real thing or it's a counterfeit, do you know how they do that? Like, say, Van Gogh. Somebody comes up with this Van Gogh, and they're saying, this is an original Van Gogh. Only an art critic who has studied Van Gogh will know if that's a real one or not. He looks at it, and he studies it, and he goes, are the lines, are the brush strokes consistent with what we know with Van Gogh? Are the colors, are the textures, are they consistent with what we know with Van Gogh? This is how they determine it. Because they've studied so much about that. The transformed mind is like that. It sees the kingdom so well that it can look at religion and go, that looks like it, but that's not really it. That's a counterfeit. So that we can look at the will of God and stand there and go and see it and going, yes, that's good. That's acceptable. That's perfect. Everything about that is consistent with the kingdom of God. And I can stand back here and I can say, that is good. That's original. Is that good? It, but it takes that kind of transformation in order to be, under, be able to understand that so you can see what really is the kingdom of God because there's a lot of things called the kingdom of God floating around in the church which are really the kingdoms of this world. Religion's one of them. The world doesn't need any more of that. We've had religion for so long now. You know, it's like, I think it'd be a good idea if we just take a look at it and you just recognize that that's the definition of insanity. Continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Listen, church, things like this run around in my mind all the time. When this coronavirus originally showed up, I remember it took me to a place of going, God, what are you doing with the church? It was consuming me for weeks. I was like, what are you doing with the church? What's this going to look like? If a coronavirus can show up and it can decimate a church, then possibly we aren't doing church right. Because there's nothing that can stop the church as long as the church is living in the kingdom. So I want to have this transformation so I can look at what is really the church and go, that's good, acceptable, and perfect. The virus can't stop that right there. A mandate from a government official saying you can't get together will not stop the church. Hello, are you with me? What am, I, what am I doing in that? I'm trying to get my mind into a place 
presenting my body as a living sacrifice so I can look at it and go, I want to know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want to know what that is. I want to have so much of the kingdom flowing through my mind and through my heart that when I look at it and I see it, I can definitely say definitively, this is the kingdom of God right here. And the other stuff is just an apparition or it looks kind of like it's the kingdom of God, but it's really not the kingdom of God. This is one of the tools that I'm using, especially in this world we're living in right now. We've got states in this country that are shutting down everything. Can I just put this into practical real quick? There are states that governors that are shutting down everything. It's real easy for me to go, God, who do they think they are? Where's their constitutional ability to do this? This is what goes inside of, my, inside of me, okay? All right, I'm going to go like this for a moment, all right? <laughs> this is what goes on inside of me, all right? And I know that's not right because I know that won't bring, the anger of man never brings the righteousness that God requires. James says that, right? So I have to be careful about it. But I do look at it and go, wait, according to the Constitution, what gives you the ability to do that? What am I doing when I get into that? I'm getting into right and wrong. And I can be dead right and be completely wrong as a believer. I can be dead right and be completely wrong. We have things where churches aren't allowed to open, but strip clubs are. Now, doesn't that just make your blood boil a little bit? Well, it should. But at the same time, I can't let that overwhelm what the kingdom wants to do. I cannot let that overwhelm because the minute I get into that, I don't know what spirit I'm of anymore, <laughs> right? Remember when, when the disciples said that, let's call down fire. You don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus didn't come to call down fire. He came to heal the sick. He came to proclaim liberty to the captive, to set them free. This is what he came to do. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. A lot of people have faith, more faith in the consequences of sin than they do in the blood of Jesus. More faith in the consequences of sin than they do in the blood of Jesus. I really do believe this, and this may take a little bit to digest, but I'm going to say this, but I want you to think about it. The, the more I grow in him and learn to live in the kingdom of God, the more of a dim view I take of sin, and I go, yeah. I just take a dim view of it. What, what does that mean? It's not consuming my mind anymore. Well, Andrew, you need to be careful. You're deceived and get into sin. Yeah, might I suggest if you're worried about being deceived, you already are. I can stop right there. Hmm. It's just simple. Human reasoning can never, ever, ever release the kingdom of God. It's only capable of judgment. Look at verse 14. It says this. Oh, this is where it's going to get gritty. Are you ready? I'm skipping one. I'm going to move to 14. Speak blessing, not cursing over those who reject and persecute you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, the church is being persecuted right now. I don't think we have any idea what persecution is like. We got no idea what persecution is like. Like right now, we're being inconvenienced at best. Hello? What would it look like if the church was so filled with him and our minds were so transformed that we're so filled with heaven that when persecution comes, we don't even recognize it? 
Oh, we're being persecuted? Oh, I don't know. I was just like going after the kingdom. Right? You know what I'm saying? Right? I'm not talking about some kind of like arrogant thing. I'm just talking about, man, somebody had to tell me we're being persecuted here. Here's Peter. When they come to him and they want to kill him for being a representative of Jesus, and they want to crucify him on a cross, and he's like, yeah, just do it upside down. I'm not even worthy to be done like Jesus. It's not like don't crucify me. It's like, go ahead, crucify me. Just do it upside down. I think he was in that place where he was so consumed with the kingdom that he just didn't even see persecution happening. There is a bit of a joy in it, though, when I see what happens around the world. The more persecution comes, the more the the gospel expands. Historically, every single time, more persecution that comes, more the gospel expands. I don't know, guys, is this making sense this morning? I mean, I'm talking about a deep core kind of faith that can't be a mental assent to a creed or a song that we sing. I'm talking about the kind of faith that is so settled on the inside that it demands a shift. It demands a different type of looking at the world around us. I told you I grew up in a, in, a, in a thing that was kind of like, oh, it's getting gloriously dark. The world is going to go to hell in a handbasket, but we're going to heaven because Jesus is returning. You know what? Okay, great. I want to make a difference, though. I can't sit in a place of passivity. I want to make a difference. The word says, bless those who curse you. Do not curse them. Bless those persecution right now we're just inconvenience real persecution is immorality turned violent that's what real persecution is it's immorality it's turning violent it's it's an ideology that gets that comes up against it the kingdom starts to come up against it that ideology and it gets so uncomfortable it can't handle it it resorts to violence something to think about bless do not curse This ability to bless and do not curse is tested when you stand on the receiving end of persecution and you can still speak blessing and not cursing to those who are persecuting you. Last one, verse 21. Don't overcome, be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. That sounds an awful like like what Jesus did. He just showed up with goodness. This is what he showed up with. He showed up with goodness. And the word already told us in Romans chapter 2 that it's the goodness of God that that leads us to a place of repentance. Oh, man, is this hurting you as much as it hurts me? That's difficult. Don't be overcome with evil. The minute I step into that ideology and that mindset, what am I doing? I'm saying to evil, go ahead and come in and run around inside of me for a little while. Run around in my mind. But if my mind is set... On the things of God and in the kingdom, what begins to come out of me then is goodness. And that's how you overcome evil. God, isn't that backwards? It should be justice. It should be righteousness. Yeah, well, all of that stuff's good. And don't confuse judge justice with judgment. They're not the same thing. Hello? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Every time. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a complete change of an ecosystem that we live in. This is what I'm talking about. It exists. How many of you guys believe that the kingdom exists around us all the time and in us, right? We do believe that. I think it does too. I think it's just dying to get out a little bit more. And the conduit is us. 
Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus changed the entire atmosphere. I'm a big fan of Chris Vollerton, Bill Johnson. I heard Bill say this one time. You can see it happen through the life of Jesus and the, the different events that happened. In the Old Testament, if you're touched by a leper, you became unclean. In the New Testament, you touch the leper and they become clean. It's good to hold on to that because you see a completely different society. You see a completely different kingdom functioning. People who loved God and who were following God in the Old Covenant, if they touched a leper, they became unclean. They had to separate themselves. Jesus shows up on the scene and he goes, let me show you a different way. I'm going to touch the leper. Now the leper is going to become clean. The first person Jesus touched when he was born was Mary the Pure. Right? After his resurrection, the first person that he touched was Mary, the one that had been filled with the demons. There's a completely different ecosystem that God has designed for us to live in. It's called the kingdom of God. I'm doing all this this morning because I'm speaking to myself, church. I'm not preaching this at anybody. I'm speaking to myself. I don't want to get lost in what happens around me and fight for what I think is justice when it's really judgment. I don't want to fight for righteousness when it's just really about right and wrong. What I want my mind to go to. And, and I do, and I do find some success in this. That when I'm in that place and I'm praying for what's going on or in, around us with our leaders, with the government right now, I find myself, I get into that zone and it doesn't take long. If I just turn my heart, turn my mind just a little bit, I can get into that zone and I begin to I can begin to pray. And I can begin to pray for justice that is true justice, where mercy is inside of it where the revelation of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in all kinds of happenings. Regardless of what happens, the revelation of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in all the happenings. So when I'm praying, I'm not praying for my will to be done, I'm praying for his will to be done. And I'm praying for that thing that exists in heaven. Let it be on earth. Let it be on earth. You know you're starting to live in that good, acceptable, perfect will of God, you know you're starting to live there when you can look at an individual that absolutely makes you angry and crazy. Anybody know anybody like that? It's not hard for me to look at the news and find people like that, real easy. I look at some people and I'm like, you are as dumb as a box of hair. I, I can't, I do, okay, am I just, is that wrong? I, you, please tell me you think things like that, okay? It's, I can do that, but I know when I'm doing that, I put a block, I put a stopper on the kingdom of God at that moment when I do that. Instead of changing my heart and my attitude, and when I change it, and I start to live from a place of living sacrifice, it's all yours, God, you want to move through me. I'm not gonna live in a place of passivity and sit and wait, oh, the world's getting dark. That when I move into that place, that I can sit there and I can look at that individual that I absolutely can't stand and I can begin to have compassion for them. Because I start to see them like Jesus sees them. They're sheep that have no shepherd. 
He's moved with compassion because he saw the multitude as sheep that had no shepherd. And I start to see that through his eyes. And now all of a sudden I can begin to pray for them. And I can pray for breakthrough. I can pray for salvation. I can pray for revelation. And regardless of what they do in the natural, if they get that, everything's going to be okay. Everybody stand up with me here. I really do believe if we, if we live from a position of faith, that kind of faith, that kingdom faith, living from that position of faith, I will actually be more fearful of not being effective than I will be of what happens in the world around me. Can I say that again? If I'm living in that place of faith, my fear will be that I won't be as effective as I could be instead of fearing what's going to happen in the world around me. All right, Father. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, God. We just say yes to it. We say yes to you. Lord, right now, all of our minds surrender to you. We become living sacrifices. All my thoughts, my ideas, my own sense of righteousness, of right and wrong and of justice, all of that. Lord, we sacrifice that. We put it on the altar and don't climb off. Put it on the altar and we choose to stay there. Lord, as our hearts come back to this place, Lord, if we're just genuinely coming to a place of vulnerability and going, God, man, the world needs you. The world needs you. You're the only solution to every problem on this planet. The simplicity of Jesus Christ and nothing else. The simplicity of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Lord, that's what we want. The revelation of Jesus coming on every individual that has never had an experience with you. Lord, bring it. Lord, I'm praying right now specifically for all this division that's happening in the world around us. First of all, we acknowledge it is not man-centric. It is demonic. It is not man's fault. It is demonic. All the division that's happening right now, all the hatred right now, it is not anything but demonic influence happening. So right now, can we all just pray right now? that the revelation of Jesus would break through every demonic barrier. Corinthians says, the God of this world blinds the minds, the thoughts, noyema, of those who believe, lest the light of the gospel would shine on them. So right now, we're just saying, like entering into what Paul was talking about, that the revelation of Jesus would come. That there would be a turning in the heart and in the mind of every individual that experiences the goodness of God. And I pray for the goodness of God to be released in this world around us and in this planet, in this nation right now, that the goodness of God would be released over and over and over and over again. God, show your goodness so powerful and so strong that everyone that experiences it comes to a place of repentance. Their minds get changed and they say, oh, this is what's important. It's not that. It's not my selfish ideas. It's not my freedoms. It's living in the kingdom of God that has the ultimate freedom inside of it. Let your goodness be released, Lord God. Let your goodness be released. Let your goodness be released, Lord God. Your kindness, your mercy. And Lord, I'm even praying for every place there is an exposure. Every place there is an exposure of wrongdoing that mercy would be right there. Mercy would be right there. Right there, it meets it. The exposure would not come without the mercy of God being released. 
And I'm even praying over every individual in the world, in our nation right now. I'm praying, I just feel this in my heart. I just like this, I get this picture and I'm seeing this like from, from space. I see the United States, but I can also see humanity in it. And I'm, I'm just right now and I'm saying, God, mercy, 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 mercy. Mercy be released. Lord, inside of your goodness and your kindness and all that you do, God, let it be released over this world. Every individual that has a hardened heart towards you, let them experience how good you are. Let every bit of blame that has ever been put on you turn and be appropriately put on, the, on Satan himself because he's the one that stills, kills, and destroys. It is not you. God doesn't kill people and take them to heaven. More of you, God. More of you. More of you. More of a changing of minds to see you appropriately and see the kingdom rightly. Can you join with me in this church? Give me a great big amen. All right. I pray the Lord's blessings on you this week and that your Thanksgiving be absolutely fantastic. I pray it'll be the best one you ever had. Does that sound good? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Lord bless you all. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life. 